I read a quote the other day by Dr. Richard Halverson. He was a chaplain to the U.S. Senate. Um, I've seen that. I've never heard this quote before, by the way. It kind of blew me away. Uh, and when I started digging and researching it, trying to see where it came from, uh, several people had kind of credited themselves with it or some version of it. But um, he seems to be the one that it, it started with. In 1984, he gave a speech before the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church. And what he said was, In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. And when, when I read this, I was like, oh my God, that is so accurate. So spot on. You know, when you look back at church history, when Jesus was on this earth, he had a group of disciples that followed him and also had a larger group of people that he touched their lives and his ministry was only three years long. And, of course, he was teaching a, a, a way of thinking that involved raising up the poor, loving those that are unlovable, really the, the people that were the outcast, those that were not part of society's inner circle, or those that had power. And, of course, he was killed for those very teachings by the religious leaders and by the government or some mix of those two. And it's amazing when you think about from that simple three-year ministry, how the people that were around him started going out and spreading this good news about how we should love our neighbor and love those that are close, you know, that are around us. And the early church was not like what you see today at all. I mean, it was it was people meeting in houses, um, sometimes in caves. They had they were being persecuted in many places. They had to hide, um, but they were they pulled their money together and cared for the widows, cared for the orphans, cared for the poor. And it really was kind of a, a, a small group of people that were just, you know, trying to understand better how to follow the teachings that Jesus had left them. He didn't leave anything in writing. Um, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have anything. Of course, as with anything that is meaningful to people, as it grew... Uh, people started developing doctrines and dogmas and teachings and, and things you had to do. And, and, and by the time that, you know, the church began to gain power a few hundred years later, um, it suddenly turned into this, this institution where there were priests and bishops and, and you know, the formal things that, that, that people had to do to worship correctly and things that they were supposed to believe. And, and it, it looked nothing like it did at the beginning. And, and even as you get now further along, you know, you see how the, the, the Orthodox and Roman Catholic churches really formalized 
exactly, you know, what the church was. And they started determining they would be the ones to tell you if you went to heaven or hell and you had to follow their beliefs or be baptized in their churches. And then we had the Protestant movement where where people, you know, Martin Luther was trying to, in some form or fashion, get the church back to what he saw as, as the core teachings. Interestingly enough, he was basing a lot of what he believed on Paul's writings. Paul never even met Jesus. He, he came along later. And even those writings... We're not really sure if Paul wrote them or people Paul taught, because the, what happened was as the church developed, it started putting together the books, the letters, the things that it felt was the correct ones. There were, there were books attributed to other apostles that were not accepted, and it was by people voting, saying, well, you know, this is what truth is, and you know, this, this epistle or this letter teaches this, and we think that's wrong, or this gospel says this, and we think that's wrong. I mean, in some of those books nearly got in. I mean, there were close votes. And so when you think about, you know, like when the, when you come to the 21st century and you see what the church looks like now, you know, you're handed a Bible and said, this is God's holy word. Well, that came together over hundreds of years with people voting and and you know cutting deals and agreeing or not agreeing on what should be taught and when you think about the institution of the church and how now it's so formalized and finally when you get to our country if you look around today it is it is an enterprise it's a business and there's a lot of money in it I remember in the, the heyday of televangelism, the Jimmy Swaggerts and the Jim Bakers and the Oral Roberts. I mean, they, they brought in millions and millions of dollars, and they're still doing it now uh, from people that just believed, oh, this is, you know, if I give this money to this person, I'll be blessed. And they were pocketing so much money and living these lives of incredible wealth. You know, uh, I was reading the other day about... Um, Oh, I forget his name. It's one of the, the ones that are still around. He that he owns, you know, the, this private jets and and you know things like this. Um, I wish I could remember his name. He is an absolute con artist in every sense of the word, and it's obvious that he is, you know, not following these two. Kenneth Copeland. Sorry, I, I know that when you turn on a podcast, you expect the person to be prepared. Uh, but, you know, when he was asked about his private jets, he just went ballistic and, and just, you know, blew up. And, you know, his some people say that his net worth is, I've read in some places, $760 million. That's insane. When you think about these early Christians that are meeting in houses who are poor, who are just trying to help feed one another and help feed people around them. I imagine in some cases they, you know, if they were open about their beliefs, they probably couldn't even get jobs and had to work together to try to to grow food or, or find ways to survive. If you have a guy with $760 million that he's basically gotten off the backs of, of people that are, that he's preyed on their faith. And he's tricked them, and it's it's horrendous to think about. I remember when I was a kid, my dad was our pastor in my church, and 
we didn't have a lot. We were a small little Baptist church in the country, and he was a hard worker, usually had a second job. My mom worked as well, and he was a true servant-type pastor. We had some people that had cows, and when they went out of town, he'd go milk the cows. Um, if somebody was in the hospital, he was up there visiting with them. And he didn't have a, 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 you know, the church car, the church vehicle. He didn't have all this extra money given to him to do these things. Uh, he was, but he was at the hospitals. He was, at, he did their funerals. He did their weddings. He, he was truly a, a, a man whose heart was those people. And you could see that. And I remember one time an evangelist was coming through. I was a kid, and he was flashy and fancy and had nice clothes and fancy car. And he had these real clever sermons with all these little quips he did. And he came to our church and preached for, I don't know, three or four nights. And our people just fell all over him. And I remember watching them just dig. And these were poor people. We didn't, we didn't have a, nobody had a lot of money in, in this town. And you would see them just coughing up every dollar that they could dig up to support this man's ministry. And it was a joke. I mean, he was like a, an 80s version of, of, of these televangelists. He was just going from church to church. And it was, I remember just being pissed off that... They barely paid a living, they didn't even pay a living wage to my dad, who worked so hard for them day in and day out. And yet this man came through and they all thought he was so special, so wonderful. He had this little thing he did. He's wearing a watch. I still remember this one. And he said something about, you know, look, he looks at the time and says, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't operate under time. I can feel God moving in this building. And he takes the watch off and he throws it across the room and smashes it. And, you know, like this big dramatic moment. And you could tell it was scripted. It was so obvious. Years later, when I was in college, he was traveling through up in Northeast Texas and I had to go see him again because I just knew this guy was, oh, he was just such a slime ball. And in fact, I remember at one point I was considering confronting him after the service. I was young in the ministry and, and just hated this kind type of showmanship. Anyway, he did the watch trick years later. Same sermon, same approach. I just got up and left, you know, because it wouldn't have done any good anyway. But this idea that Christianity is now a means for money and a way to take advantage of people. It's not new. Um, you can look throughout church history and pretty much any time, whether it was a, the King of England or a Pope or anyone else had an opportunity, they took money from people. Whether they were helping get people out of purgatory or whether they were giving extra blessings or allowing a marriage to be dissolved or whatever. There was always some game where religion was being used. But in America now, it is a political machine. It's a business. It's just sad. And when you look at these churches that have these elaborate buildings and 
sound systems and bands and and when you go it's like a concert I mean they're professional it's pretty fantastic if you love to to you know be entertained but I think back of that story where Jesus went into the temple and he saw the money changers as they called them people that were they did several things one of the things they did is when people came in to sacrifice to bring things in, like a, a, a lamb or whatever, um, the priest sometimes colluded with these folks and said, "Well, this this has a blemish, and so you need to find one that's that's doesn't have a blemish, so it's a proper sacrifice." And they would have these people selling other lambs, and then these money changers, you know, they were in the temple taking advantage of the religious people, and. Uh, <laughs> Jesus put together um, some cords and he beat the shit out of them. I mean, he he ran them out, called them thieves, yelled at them. And yet, the very people that claim to worship him, that claim he's the son of God, that claim that they follow his teachings, that put his name on their signs, act just like the very people that he threw out of the temple. And they act like the very people that killed him, that crucified him. Christianity is not a business. It's not an enterprise. Or maybe it is. But certainly if that's true, Christianity is not what Jesus taught. It's not the way he lived. It's not what he asked of those around him. It's not what he told us to do. And I think sometimes if you go back and you look, there's a group called the Red Letter Christians that just take the the pieces of the Bible that have just actual quotes of Jesus. That's why it's called Red Letter. is because in a lot of Bibles, they have Jesus' quotations in red. If you just read what he said, and then you look at today's church, you're going to be baffled at how we possibly could have gotten there. So those are my observations about this quote and the idea of what the church is and where it's come from. And God only knows where it's going. But hopefully there's enough people out there with good hearts that whether or not they call themselves Christian, believe themselves to be here to support and love others and give of themselves in a way that is going to make humankind and our earth a better place. And I hope at some point when people look back at my life that I can be counted among those because the label of Christian means nothing to me. But the label of love and the label of caring for others, the label of kindness means the world. Thank you for listening. Those are my observations. This is Scott.